You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Well, welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello to you both. Morning. Hello, hello, hello! This is the final episode of uh, this season. We're going to we're recording shortly before Christmas. We're not sure exactly when the episode will be released, so you maybe you are listening at the start of 2022. But I suspect uh, Christmas probably has looked well. Certainly has looked different from last year in the UK. Uh, it probably looks different also, though, from what we're used to, uh, and different probably for each of us in the different roles that we have. So let me ask you to start with uh, what you're most looking forward to. As we we approach Christmas 2021, and I guess as we anticipate uh, with the listeners, the start of 2022, what are we most looking forward to? Um, I I feel like such a curmudgeon. The thing that, you know, the first thing that came came into my head, it sounds really bad, was the 27th of December. Because it's it's that, it's not because I hate Christmas, I love Christmas, but it's the stress of the services are over and then you can just, you can relax. Which is, I think perhaps this year, it feels extra stressful because we're 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 having to all work out what we're going to do. I've got a meeting tomorrow about whether we have tickets or not have tickets and all that stuff, and it just feels quite painful. I think Christmas always comes at the end of a, a long run as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. In in normal times, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. Jen, what about you? What are you most looking forward to? I think I'm I'm not looking forward. Mm, <laughs> it's a bit okay. of an opt out of the question, but uh, last year. My daughter had COVID and was and tested negative on the 20th. And so everything we planned, although it was limited last year, uh, was cancelled. We couldn't do, especially my mum, who's on her own in her 80s, couldn't come and have dinner with us. So uh, we do have some friends coming for Christmas Day who have, uh, uh, there's two children in the family. And I'm really, I am looking forward to being with children on Christmas Day because that hasn't happened for us for a wee while. Um, but I'm really worried about looking forward because I just think there's so many things that could go wrong. You know, um, you know somebody will have to self-isolate or they'll have a contact or somebody will test positive. And so maybe I'm just... So I there are things I'm looking forward to, but that they are covered with a concern of yes. it might not it might not happen. And and maybe that helps me to cope. Maybe that, that's a good thing because uh, I can be prepared if something goes wrong rather than, yes. oh dear, yes. it's all gone wrong. Yes. So not really looking forward, which which is interesting. No, that's interesting. Would, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is interesting. The, the discussion around Christmas is quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think, uh, aside from our current circumstances, Christmas inevitably brings its stresses, whether that's family stresses, whether that's around the kind of work that many people are involved in if they're involved in in Christian ministry. And um, it's a busy season, and I think for me, the, the, if I'm if I'm totally honest, it sounds very um, <laughs> very fundamental. But I, I am very aware of the light at this time of the year. So the the time that we're recording, it's very dark. Yesterday, it, it really didn't get light at all. Uh, and and I and there's something about the turn of the year that I always look forward to. And a bit like you, Neil, I feel a wee bit guilty that it comes after Christmas. But the turn of the year when it it begins to get light in the mornings and it's just a little bit lighter in the in the afternoons and and there is there's a very basic natural sense of hope that comes with the coming of the light and 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 maybe partly because we've made christmas a day when christmas yes. day is just the start of the season of christmas yes. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, and therefore, both of you saying that, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel any guilt about that because that's you celebrating the 12 mm. days, which are the season of Christmas. And uh, maybe if we have a bigger perspective of Christmas, which my daughter reminded me of last night, um, that Christmas isn't just one day, uh, that would help. Maybe, maybe we should all sing the 12 days of Christmas to remind ourselves. Because it's actually quite, that's that's a much deeper carol than people give it credit for. It's all yeah. symbolism, isn't it? Yeah, um, so 12 days of Christmas, not one. There we go. Let, let's not sing though, because, you know, it's hard enough at the moment, isn't it, for people without having to listen to us Oh, no, 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 no. I won't let us go down that route of the self-deprecating <laughs> singing thing. Caused us so much no, but- damage. Yes, but but singing remotely, not not an easy thing to, okay, to master. Okay. <laughs> so it's just a, oh, the whole thing about people say, oh, you don't want to hear me sing? Yes, I do. Oh, no, I don't mean that. All right, okay. I, mean, I love people hearing me do anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking the technology well, might not What I love about that is, you're, is that because you're so utterly <laughs> unashamed of it, it it's utterly... A, it's actually appealing as well. There's nothing There's nothing unappealing about you saying that. That's what I'm made to do, perform. By the way, how right. are you? Oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. I've had I've had COVID, so um, yeah, I'm coming out of that. Coming out of that. You, you were tired Omicron, weren't you? I was Omicron, and I, actually, I realised that probably now people getting Omicron are not going to know. But I think the the early adopters, hmm. we were told specifically because they were trying to track contacts and things. So yeah, yeah, oh, I'm okay. I'm 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 tired. I'm looking forward. To, I'm actually looking forward to having a bit of a break. Yeah. Over the Christmas holidays and just. Did resting. you have a temperature? No, I didn't. Uh, headache, um, very tired, very sore throat. Yeah. And... I hear a sore throat. Oh, yeah, yeah, not not pleasant. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. However, um, let's uh, let's crack on. Jen's waving at me frantically, though. I've actually I've actually ordered a book which I ordered last January uh, to read, starting on Christmas Day. It's called um, tw- it's called Twelve Christmas Days. And it's 12 feasts and 12 stories for the days of Christmas. Ooh. I have no idea what it's like because I bought it in January, put it on the bookshelf, <laughs> and I'm waiting uh, to read it for the 12 days of Christmas, which I'm actually really looking forward to because I always have uh, books that I read during Advent, but often struggle with falling asleep at night trying to read them or not having enough time during the day to read them. So I'm looking forward to doing some, having some space for the 12 days of Christmas. And I'll, I can let you know in a, a subsequent podcast how it goes. Would be interested in that. What, what's yeah, it called? Christmas Days by Jeanette Winterson. That's an oh. interesting name. Oh, oh that's nice. um, Jeanette Winterson. She's very well known. Yeah, that's oranges are not the only fruit. Yeah. I mean, interesting, Jen. We'll, we'll, I know. I know. There's, there's a world there. She was brought up in a <laughs> Pentecostal church. Um, um, but Jen, what's also the name of that um, that book you love by Justine Gardner? The Christmas, Christmas Mystery. Mystery. Both oh, okay. Both together. We both you, love it. Do you love it as well, Fiona? Oh my goodness, yes, I read it every year. Me yeah. too. I haven't this year actually, but um, I, I did pick it up the other day. I also read a Christmas Carol. My book group read a Christmas Carol. Oh, right. which was, it was really interesting actually. It was worth, and and you can read it for free. I know that's not the point, but you can get it on the. Gutenberg he, he's all right. Project. He's not worried about royalties anymore. <laughs> I know exactly. I might get that. Uh, might get that mm. in Audible. Mm. It's good. It doesn't take long actually. Are you a fan of the Muppets Christmas Carol? I mean, not massively, to be honest. Really? I'm, I'm, in, I'm fascinated by how, how many people are. Oh yeah, people. I like it. it. I really like it. I think it's quite yeah. accurate, actually. Yeah, I, 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 I quite like Michael Payne, Kane's performance in yeah. it. I think he's very mm-hmm. poignant in it. And the, what is the line? Um, there's not enough, uh, the Mises, not enough cheese for Mises. I like that. 
There <laughs> needs to be mice. No cheese. <laughs> Anyway, season is, the season of Christmas is upon us. Now, we don't have any correspondence this week and we don't have any adverts, really, because uh, time has now passed for people to order their Christmas resources. Uh, but just, I suppose, a quick reminder that you can, during your Christmas holidays, you can always catch up on previous episodes of this podcast if you're interested. But you can also find all the, the various story podcasts that we've done. So that's the Advent, Where You Go, and An End to the Darkness. They're all available on your usual platforms. And if you haven't checked those out, then you might want to do that uh, when you've got some time. And of course, don't forget that if you have time over the holidays, we would love to hear from you. <laughs> we keep saying it. The email address is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And I think I was actually thinking about this this morning after that story last time about the near miss on the roundabout. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'd be interested to know where people are listening from. So I, mean, we, I actually did think we could also have a prize. I have no idea what the prize would be, but maybe the most intriguing place to be listening. A copy of Justin Gardner's. Gardner's the Christmas, the Christmas mystery. Could be yeah, this was a couple who who took the wrong road because they were listening to the podcast. I mean, yes. So if you can beat that story, then there may be a prize in it for you. Anyway, for the last time this season, it's time for Glovers Off. Glovers Off this week is about rivers. And the reason I get fascinated about this is I'm, I'm really interested in the way that the shape of Scotland shapes rivers. I was driving north to Nethy Bridge last week, going up Dromochter. And as you head up Dromochter, you're going past one of the, the tributaries of the, of the Tay. I'm not quite sure which one it is. It might be the Gary. And uh, you're very conscious as you head north that the water is flowing down towards you. Then you get up to Dromochter, and I got too excited about this. I kept looking across, but trying to make sure I was focused still on the A9, because there comes a point at which the water starts to flow down the other way, and that's into the tributary of the Spey. I get very excited about that. Similarly, I get very excited when coming back from Oban, and you head up the hills past um, Loch Awe and towards Dalmally and then towards Tindrum. People don't talk about Dalmally enough and Tindrum enough. And you're very conscious that as you head up, the water's heading down towards you and probably the river all, I think. And, uh, and at some point it switches direction and it heads down uh, towards, it's actually the Tay because the, the, the source of the Tay is the bottom of Ben Louis, which is miles away from the East Coast. And there is actually a walk that you can do. We, I've sent you a picture. We can post it on the, the, the notes of the Scottish watershed, which apparently is quite a big thing in other countries, but not here. I've also posted a picture this morning, which I absolutely love, of the river drainage areas of Scotland. And um, what did you say it looked like again when we were discussing it earlier? A lung. A lung. Yeah, and it's just this, this breathing area of Scotland where all these different rivers flow into each other and it, it looks like a lung or a, or a leaf or arteries or, well, the arteries would be the lung. Um, and it strikes me that, that these rivers just join and, and they have flows and, and, and that somehow the, the energy and life of Scotland is all rooted in these, in these rivers. And the reason I... Well, it's, it's just very attractive to look at. I love the shape of it. I love the sense of river. I live 100 yards away from the from the tea. But I'm I'm often struck. I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is uh, John 7, verse 38, which is out of the believer's heart, out of the believer's guts, is the literal meaning. Um, there will flow rivers of living water. And I, for me, that is such a 
key understanding of how we are transformed as, as Christians. It's not that we pull a whole bunch of levers or we follow a certain program. It's rather there's a mysterious progress, process where the life of God flows through me. And the, the river is an image of the life of God flowing through me. And then if you think of that picture of Scotland of all the different rivers, then for me, it's potentially a picture of of the church where it's all these different rivers flowing together and out of that life comes. And, And the final piece of the jigsaw for me is Psalm 46 verse four, where it says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And what I love about that verse is the fact that there isn't actually a visible river in the city of God in Jerusalem. But what the verse is saying is there is an invisible river. There is an invisible river, which is the flow and move and love and move and action of God into which we all connect. So this week's Glover's Off, all about rivers, tributaries, joinings together, Psalm 46, hidden rivers, and the church as a collection of streams of life-giving streams. Super. Thank you very much. Thank you. That map is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I loved the reaction because I showed it to you about what you both about 20 minutes ago and you both went, wow. And I thought, oh, good, (laughs) my joy is shared. Yeah, exactly. Really interesting. Really interesting. Thank you very much. That's great. We've enjoyed these glovers off very much this season. It's been fun. Why, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) By we, I mean me. Uh, (laughs) So today, what we're going to do is we're going to finish our season on rebuilding from the rubble. And we're, we're finishing with the final book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi. Although I'll be totally honest, Nigel Pollock, who might be known to some people, once said something to me about, he kept referring to it as the book of Malachi. And I cannot get that out of my head. That's been about 30 years it's really annoying typical iconoclasm from nigel pollock i know pollock if you're listening it's your fault um so book of malachi not malachi uh we're in prophecy again but we've kind of jumped in the timeline from where we've been talking about haven't we so neil do you want to give us one of your little uh, summaries of where we're at so people might remember that way back the book of ezra begins with seven chapters where ezra doesn't our six chapters where Ezra doesn't appear, and uh, that's the first attempt to get back from exile, and it's Rubabel and Shealtiel and all these people, and they they kind of make a kind of faltering attempt, and uh, they do eventually recreate the temple, and that's what Haggai and Zechariah is about. But then things fall into a lapse of about fifty eight years, and it's it's um it's a gap. It's between Ezra six twenty two, which is the last verse of Ezra, and the first verse of Ezra seven. One, there's this gap of 58 years where nothing much happens except probably Malachi. Um, it's it's undated. Uh, it's not like um, Haggai and Zechariah where there's very precise dates. It's it's it kind of sits in a slightly timeless way. But but Malachi is the book that sits in the gap between Ezra six and Ezra seven. These 58 quiet years, and. People have often said that Malachi is the book of small things. I know, I know that quote comes from somewhere else. I think it comes from Habakkuk, doesn't it? But um, yeah, that, that Malachi and somebody else has complained that the Old Testament goes out not with a bang like Isaiah, but goes out with a whimper. But Gerhard von Rad, uh, the, the old uh, German biblical scholar, says we should not judge prophecy on the basis of Isaiah. And, and he wants to value this kind of slightly, oh, how, how would we say it? It's a it's a gnarly book, isn't it? Would that be a, a good description? And and um, it doesn't have the lofty ambition of of Isaiah, and yet it's it's that book which certainly in Christian Bibles prepares us for for the coming 
of the Messiah, and quite literally, as we'll come to the last verses. So it's somewhere between the year 516 BC and 458s and the 58-year gap between Ezra 6 and 7. Great, thank you. I mean, I would say, having had this whole discussion, I'm still, my head is still kind of buzzing around. I think I need to go back over the Christmas holidays, actually, and listen to all your little summaries <laughs> <laughs> and sit and write it down, all these different dates to, to I'll get I'll it I'll send all. you, well, what I can do, there's a, yeah, there's a graph in one of my commentaries. I wonder if I, I can mean, that sounds ideal. take a photo sounds of ideal. that. And Picture, post I think, it. is what we're after. Yeah. And so, so sorry, just to, to put Nehemiah in that again, remind yeah, us This is pre-Nehemiah, this is pre-Esra, probably. It's not mm-hmm. pre the book of Ezra, but it's pre the character it's pre Ezra. Ezra's and then never mind it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, but of course we find it sitting right at the end of, of our Old Testament, uh, um, the way the, the Christian Bible's put together, uh, which I suppose kind of throws up a whole question about what happens next in it. Jen, before we get into all that, how, how did you get on in your reading of it? <laughs> I, I see you're laughing because I'm smiling. I know There's, what you're going to say. I evidently <laughs> have a problem with books of the Bible that start with the same letter. So I get my Zephaniah and Zechariah mixed up, and then I get Malachi and Micah mixed up. And I did think I was reading Micah in preparation for this, which I was quite looking forward to. But then quite quickly I realised I was reading the wrong book, and I read Malachi. And what was your word, Neil? Gnarly. I mean, like, I mean, there's dung getting smeared, threatened to be smeared in people's faces because they're not worshipping correctly. And uh, there's, I mean, God says he hates um, Esau. And loves Jacob, mm-hmm. and so there's and, and that's just the start of it. So there's lots to explore, and I did I did eventually enjoy digging in, and and there's really difficult stuff to deal with. But I think one of the things I took from it was this, um, the need for things to be judged and cheating and um, injustice and insincerity. These are kind of themes that run all the way through the book. And then there is this, there is a pointing as we come near the end of of Malachi. I also forgot to read chapter four, which is not helpful. Please read chapter four if you're reading it. Um, But pointing towards John the Baptist and and his ministry, which would be tough. And yet here comes Jesus who is going to sit down (laughs) with those who have been treated unjustly and have been wronged and cheated and, I think reading it in that light of of what's coming next, not to minimise what we're reading, not to just say, oh, we'll put this away, uh, but to read it in the, in that light uh, was helpful. But yet, again, not an, an easy read, but worth worth the struggle. Worth the struggle, yes. I know, but there is, there, I, I did find that because I, I, I read it a, a number of times, but I also listened um, to a number of different versions. And there's that moment when it, it, it and it is in chapter four, Jen, so you're right, you do need to get to chapter four. <laughs> But there's that moment where it talks about the the sun of righteousness will rise, yeah. healing on his rays, and it was suddenly like this beautiful moment oh, of Christmas yeah. carols, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Risen with healing in his wings. It's that famous bit on it's heart the herald angels sing, isn't it? It is, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's it's sun s u n. It's the mm-hmm. it's the massive mm-hmm. star. It's not sun, so it's the image of Christ as as the great sun of righteousness. Yeah, yeah. And it is there's that sort of redemptive moment of oh yes, okay, so we we are. We, we do have hope in the midst of all of this. And recognising that I was reading it in the context we're in just now when there's more restrictions and the new variant is spreading at a rapid rate and um, we're, all, we're all being encouraged to get boosted. And, and that there's, there's, a, there's a heaviness, a darkness about the context we find ourselves in again. And 
so reading Malachi wasn't I, I, there was part of it was really whole I needed more risen with healing in his wings uh, bits to read but that isn't what we get always when we read the Bible so that's good to recognise although I would say what you maybe needed to do was what I did which was have the audio playing and then not remember to stop it at the end of Matthew, <laughs> uh, at the end of Malachi 4 in which case it went straight on to Matthew 1 oh, nice. and there was there was another moment of oh good oh we're in the New Testament oh yeah no, 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 I can stop it now because we're not talking about that so there's, there's this whole there's this whole thing I think in the in the scriptures where we have to engage with the paradox of the of the pain if we could, if we can use a, an illustration the the advent candle wreath uh, in some versions is uh, three purple candles and one pink and the purple candles are the the it's the color of penitence and of 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 darkness and of engaging with the difficulty and the pink candle, which is on the third Sunday of Advent, is called the Gaudete candle. And um, and I loved that it was originally instituted because people needed a break. So <laughs> it's it, it was the idea that people are like, oh, I'm so, I'm so fed up of, of the purple candles. I'm so fed up of penitence. Oh, someone's lit a pink candle. Yes. <laughs> you know? and, but, and it's a bit like you get into Matthew's gospel at the end of Malachi. You've, oh, Malachi, Malachi. And then bang. <laughs> And there is something, though, about learning to engage with paradox and pain and difficulty, which if you open yourself to it, also then opens you up to the love of God. Mm -hmm. It means that you can actually get quite excited about a pink candle because you've been mm -hmm. watching, you've been lighting purple ones. And I think I was talking to my friend recently who is saying, you know, Neil, you've just got to, my, my friend is pretty unrelentingly positive. Um, and he, he was saying to me, people have just got to know that the Bible is a love letter from God. And, and that's right. <laughs> Who's going to argue with that? But look at in Malachi 1, begins with the question, do you love us? Do you love me? And asks the question, is this, so it looks like love, and then immediately plunges in to Jacob, I have loved, Esau, I have hated. So it, it's 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 a difficult kind of love. And then we've got the dung getting smeared on each other's faces. Then we've got the criticism of the priests. Then we've got the really tough passages about divorce. And as Jen, as you pointed out, I think we've got to imagine what's going on around this. What kind of casual religion is, is happening here? How are people abusing the power structures of the temple um, in order to further religion. But I think when you engage with the purple candles of the book of Malachi, it gets you ready for the pink candle of chapter four at the end of it, and also uh, John the Baptist. Just to, I really want to ask and talk about the Esau-Jacob thing, mm. because I always feel quite sorry for Esau mm -hmm. in the narrative of, of his life, because, you know, he was just doing his own thing. He was out hunting animals, got a bit hungry, and then Jacob and his deceitfulness uh, you know steals the birthright from him and mm -hmm. then the relationship breaks down and and so why therefore is god what's going on behind this that god is saying he loves jacob and hates esau and we I mean, not just hates him he's, uh, he's turned the hill country into a wasteland and taking away his inheritance what's going on there but is there not something so we well since i've read jacob and esau but i, I wrote a play actually once about about Jacob and Esau, and and one of the things that struck me when I was doing that was Esau was is he's an earthy kind of guy, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense that he doesn't, he does he doesn't 
in, in Jacob is a cheat and a and a liar and a slime ball and all the rest of it. But there is something about the heart of Jacob towards God, isn't there? There's something about the, the what goes on in that wrestle, in in the chapter when he wrestles with God. There's something really significant there, where where God puts his finger on the hip and it's and it's it's almost like a there's a change for Jacob at that point, isn't there? Where he, he it's no longer about him and himself, but actually he 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 does put God first in his heart, whereas Esau. I don't know if I'm just trying to justify what these passages say, but what these verses say, but there is something about Esau almost doesn't lift his thinking beyond a very functional relationship with God. Would that be fair? Yeah, poten- potentially, definitely at the start. I mean, Jacob is probably my favourite. brutish old... Esau. Pardon? Isn't he? He's quite brutish. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, always think, I always think of him as a jock. You know, you know that American expression for the yes. for the people who yes. are really great. Yes, a meathead. Um, uh-huh. um, yeah, and I agree with you about the wholeheartedness of Jacob. That um, I, I love Jacob. He is probably my favourite Old Testament character, uh, along with David, David, probably who everybody loves as well, but was also a murderer. They, 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 there's an interesting. So what? The, that's not the only thing. So that in its context, and this is what makes Malachi so so difficult, um, it seems to be that the question is, how, how I have loved you, says the Lord. Uh, you asked me how you much you love me. Let me tell you how much I love you. Look, I destroyed Edom because I hate Edom, but I love you. So mm-hmm. the answer to the question, does God love us, is, oh, our long-term rivals got slaughtered, so God yeah. must love us. That's pretty tough going. And but that's that's a kind of tribal thought. So there's there's two things I think that I go with this verse. The first is the actual story of Esau and Jacob, because you're you're right. At the start, Esau is this kind of troubling character, but you have that beautiful moment of reconciliation at the end of Esau's life. And what's interesting is that the Isaac, the father, has prophesied when he when he gives all the blessing to Jacob, there's this kind of leftover dregs of a, of a blessing that he then gives to Esau. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't actually happen in Esau's life. Esau has all the flocks and he has all the... So there's something that he evades his father's curse, at least in the first generation. Now, it then drops down to other generations and you have this historic conflict with the Edomites and the Esau's. And, and Esau, the two words are used interchangeably. Um, and then it goes right forward into Romans chapter 9, where that verse is quoted. I think it's verse, I wrote this down earlier. Is it verse 4, chapter 9, verse 4? Um, where, um, uh, 13, sorry, where it, Paul is dealing with the whole issue of predestination. And Paul is saying that a, the Jews, and curiously enough, he now turns it on its head. So he identifies the Jews, his own people, with Esau in this story. And he says that the the the, the children of Christ are now Jacob. So We've got to be very careful with verses like that. But but he says, well, we could be saying, oh, God, how dare you do this? And, and Paul's point is that God is allowed to do what God wants. But chapter 9 of Romans then leads to chapter 11, where at the very last, everybody gets pulled back in to the plant. Um, but like a river system, this time it's the tree, and everybody gets grafted into the tree. And I think somehow the story of Jacob or the narrative of Jacob and Esau, first of all, has to be read in the context of the first story in which there is reconciliation and then has to be read in the context of Romans chapter 9 to 11, where it does feel for a while that God has chosen one and not another. But then in the end of chapter 11, God seems to reconcile all. And so 
I would say that that chapter has to be read in the context of the whole Christian canon, the Malachi bit, and an understanding that, yes, there is disaster and there is rupture, but ultimately there is, in the plan of God, going to be healing. Yeah, yeah. Which does then point us forward, doesn't it, to... to to the coming of the Messiah. Yeah, you seem quite unconvinced by that, Fiona. No, I'm not unconvinced. No, I'm actually, I, do, you know, do you know what I'm thinking about, Neil? I, I was listening to something yesterday and it was it was a sermon where somebody was talking about Herod and the fact that Herod was an Edomite. Mm. Did you know oh, that? Right. He had Edomite, and I think, I, that, well, that's why I'm hesitant to say it because I, I, to be honest, I was kind of listening and doing something else at the same time. But one of the things that really struck me was was the how much of a tyrant Herod was. Mm. It was a horrific character. I actually had no idea just how horrendous the, the point the person sorry i'm going slightly off topic here but the person was talking about the fact that they reckon in herod's lifetime he was responsible for the death of about a million people really and so you know so the kind of um nativity play baddie is you know it's a it's a scratching the surface of the reality of of and, and the point being was being made that that jesus was born into this oppressive yeah terrifying situation where people were informing each other sorry i just went off on a train of thought thinking about that and then and so i was listening to you <laughs> is a is, there, is it my problem in reading this and that that verse two of chapter one is because i'm reading it as individual people mm-hmm. so i'm reading it as jacob and esau when really what you're trying to say neil is that this is about god's love for his people who have been oppressed and uh, destroyed by by the Edomites or e- Esau's descendants, and and so it's more a an indication of how God has sh- God has been with them all as a people group, not about how He loves one brother and hates the other brother. I I I think ultimately that's where I go with the reading, but I I don't think there's any doubt that the text itself, as it comes to us in its plainness, is the is the second interpretation that you give it it is one of favoritism and that's i think what makes it a problematic text but somehow i think the bible again makes us plunge into this stuff makes us plunge into our prejudices our ethnic rivalries our hatreds um the the groups of people that we dismiss and makes us confront that and makes us also confront the fact that we often draw god into our own our own battles and and find that voice um and I think you've and got to a... some extent, is 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 all of our faith not built on favoritism? In as much as there is nothing we do that that makes us right before God, it's it's God's favor <laughs> on us. Yes, I, I I think that's right. And ultimately, everybody becomes a favorite, or something yeah. like that, or just about yeah, or, or, or favoritism is possible for anyone. Yeah, because it's unmerited. It, we we were we've been talking a lot about the rise and fall of mars hill podcast as this has been going on because i think it speaks it's it speaks to a certain brand of or a certain form of being a christian which i think we've all encountered not only from others but sometimes within ourselves and sometimes propagated it which is a version of christian faith which basically says you well in in the words of the podcast you suck you're you're terrible and that kind of religion form of religion which which summons us to be better now the the tempting thing to do is to get rid of that altogether and say well that's clearly not god and and certainly paul would do that in galatians but there is something about you need that voice which calls out the bad stuff you need that voice which summons you to be better and then to place that alongside the voice which is the voice of of grace 
And ultimately, I think in the, in the teaching of Jesus, I think I've told you this before, one of the most moving dramas I've, I've ever been part of happened in Redfield St. Stephen's Church in Glasgow. And it was a, a drama on uh, the parable of the tax collector and the publican in, I think it's Luke 18. And I had played the, I was to play the part of the Pharisee. And the script had been given, written by my friend John. Um, it was one of these scripts, Fiona and Jen, you've maybe done this when you've done dramas, where on the page, I wasn't sure how it worked, but it just connected with the congregation stroke audience that night. And I had to do it in a funny voice and I had to go, teacher, Lord God, I come to you and I am so aware of the manifest goodnesses which have emanated from my hand and the rumours which are about me in the gutter press are only that. And I was doing this kind of voice and seriously, people were just, creasing themselves at the end of every line as a, as a kind of moment of being an actor in a drama. It's, it's gold. And I was really working hard not to go with the laughter of the audience. And, um, and folk loved it. And there was a moment of kind of personal triumph for me that I had delivered the script and I had already landed. And I was thinking, go me, well done me, and all this in this context of this service. And then Graham... Amol, who I've talked about so much, and he he died not long after we began this this podcast. But he just appeared. He was in his jumper, and he just leant against the wall. And it, it's just the way he said it, so low key, and such a contrast to the 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 per- person I'd just been playing. And he just went, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." And there was just, it was a moment where the gospel just spoke. And potentially, I don't want to, Malachi is the voice sometimes of that preacher person at the start, the one who's demanding that we we do more. And and we need that voice. It, it can't be edited out. We, we need it either sometimes to be against it or simply to note its presence or sometimes to listen to it. But the ultimate voice of the gospel is the one which we simply come to God as we are and and say in grace. And, and you, it's going back to what you said, it's all, in a sense, favoritism. It is all grace. And maybe what Malachi does, there's a famous quote, was it Luther that said this, that the law that drives us into the hands of Christ, that that we we need the Malachi texts in order to drive us into Matthew. Yeah, but it, I mean, it does sit with that paradox that you talked about, mm-hmm. though, as well, doesn't it? It's so, so I, I mean, I'd like to move on just to talk about the, the divorce stuff that we see in chapter two. These are hard things to read. And Jen, I think it's been helpful when you, you know, when you articulated that that we, we want to be careful not to get caught up in speaking about individuals, but actually widening out to what what is actually being said. But it is nonetheless hard, isn't it? Jen, what's your what's your perspective on that? I mean, again, I, I, the, the, that the thematic thing that I mentioned, I, I mean, I wrote down a list of the kind of wider problems that seem to be going on. Um, the cheating, I don't, I don't just mean cheating within a marriage relationship. I mean, there's there's a, a deep hatred, is probably not too, is, is the right word for it, of, of when people are cheated and they're, they, there, there's deception and there's oppression and there's injustice and why why is this hate for the divorce is it because and I, I think I read this somewhere that you know the, the 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 people were divorcing the wives they had had um 
to get to get new wives. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it, it was the context of why they were doing it. Um, but you know, I, I we need each other's wisdom in this because if you just read it and fa- just read it as it is, then uh, it could just be a a pansia is that the right pansia i know an overarching kind of hatred of divorce and i mm-hmm. don't think and i wouldn't want this to be what that said but maybe that's just i don't want it to be that i think i mean we were talking before we we came on about someone who's very close to me um who's going through a horrendous marriage situation and, and that person's parents is desperate for them to divorce now the, the reason is not any love of divorce that this these parents would never have, you know, they, they hate divorce. They've, they've, they themselves have been married for a long, long time and have a very devoted marriage. But for them, it's, it's a sign of just how toxic the relationship has become that they, they would even countenance that. They, but they would still say the statement, we, we hate divorce. I think it's, it's worth, you, you can still be divorced and still hate divorce. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's in fact, some of the people who've been through it would hate it the most. I'm so conscious that, that Jen, I, I would agree with you that um, I think the context here, it feels like a kind of casual approach to divorce. It, it feels also that it goes part and parcel with a kind of idolatry. Um, in fact, some readings of this passage entirely make this about idolatry and say that divorce is simply a, a metaphor that's being used here. I, th- I think that's difficult to fully uh, go towards. I think real, actual divorce is in mind here. I think it's also the case that the Hebrew of this particular section is really tough to understand. And for example, the, the verse that says, um, I hate, that's often translated for I hate divorce, which is uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Um, that actually says in the Hebrew, he hates divorce, says the Lord. And so it's it's just an, it's an odd construction in the, in the Hebrew. Um, I think my reading is here, oh, and the other thing to say about the word divorce in Hebrew is the word shalach, which means to dismiss or send away. So it's got the image of someone being kicked out of the house and, and, and cast into to something else. I, I, think, I think what's going on here is that Malachi is calling people back to a profound understanding of oneness, that one God, that the word one appears quite a few times in the text, and how that has been ruptured in the people's approach to divorce, which feels casual and feels to be a, with a whole bunch of other idolatries. And also that people um, have a very low view of covenant. And therefore, once again, that is reflecting both in their worship, where they are not bringing sacrifices that are, are worthy to God. The temple worship is has a kind of casualness. And that low view of covenant is then also reflected in the way that people are dealing with their marriages. So I think the context is, is really critical here. And I think Malachi probably had to say these words because he was appalled at the way that 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 priests and religious leaders were just being very casual in their religion and very casual in their relationships. And he, he calls them out. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that the second bit of chapter 16 says, um, does violence to the one he should protect. Mm. And again, it's the, it's the place of the woman in the divorce here that now we, we're in a very different situation with divorce laws, etc. But for these people, if, if they divorce the wife while they're out, um, they've got no income. They they might have to resort to 
to prostitution to get any kind of money to feed themselves. And it's that abandonment. It's not a an agreed situation where both partners are, are cared for and looked after, but a situation of, of power from the man just um, getting rid of a possession, yeah. which is probably important. Yeah. It's very important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think even just as as, as you have both been talking there, it, it's it struck me, it's just how important it is that we we really teach these passages well and sensitively. And I suppose it's just a renewed admiration on my part for for people who do that with a pastoral sensitivity to the realities of 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 people's contemporary situation, but but an ability to to you know to not um, not shy away from. Teach them. So it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to to when we engage with these things to really do it in the context and really take it seriously and and um, take the pastoral ramifications of of how we use our words uh, very carefully. I think, yeah. Um, thinking about uh, that paradox thing again, Neil. Did you have a, you had a story? I think about somebody in prison. Oh yeah, it was. It, this is told by so Neil. It was a slightly clunky link there. <laughs> Neil, <laughs> Neil, thing written down. Neil often has stories about people in prison. That's, that's a good thing. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. Somebody said this is a random quote, but something like half the New Testament was written in prison. Um, they, um, yeah, Neil Plantingill tells us this story of going to visit someone in death row in the states, and he, this person had heard that Neil Plantingill, who's a professor of theology. And, um, and for those of you interested, brother of Alvin, the famous philosopher. And um, he, yeah, this prisoner who was in death row came up to him and, and, and simply said to him, I want you to tell me about your book. I love your book. Uh, and he, of course, he was referring to the Bible. And um, he, he said, I love your book. It's so long and you never get to the bottom of it. <laughs> and I love the fact that that something which is often named as a negative against the Bible, which is that it's really long, and something which is also negative that sometimes it's hard to understand by this prisoner, who I presume didn't have an awful lot else to do but contemplate the fact that his life was going to end, and also, I don't know if he was guilty or not, but to contemplate what he had done to get there. For him, the length and the difficulty of the Bible were actually good things. And I, I think um, that that all of us would, in this series, as we've dealt with stories of exile, we've had to deal with the fact that there are a lot of difficult passages in this. And I think what's happening is that the trauma of exile is then erupting back into the difficulties of these passages and you're having to process and, and engage with that. Um, but, but as we engage with that and we struggle with the Bible, we never leave it. We never leave it. And and for all three of us, I think that for all that there are passages and verses that, that really provoke us. And sometimes we even say, I, I can't agree with that. You know, the Edom I have hated verse, although I've set it in some kind of frame as it exists here in Malachi. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. But the but we'll never let it go. And I, I, I think there is something about certainly our our. Protestant evangelical heritage and where there will be people who are Catholic who are listening to this or people who don't belong to the church at all. But but there's something in the Protestant heritage which says that the scripture is is vital as part of our journey of knowing God and we never let it go. And I think 
Malachi is a great reminder of that. In, in one of my churches, um, Logie Rate, or one of the churches in which I minister, there's a massive mural of Malachi. And we, we were joking earlier, and I, I couldn't believe when I first went in, we're like, why Malachi? And the reason was that I think the every presbytery in Scotland had been asked to do a mural of a biblical book and uh, we got Malachi. <laughs> so, you know, I think we're quite unfortunate. I know people on the phone to the people doing Genesis. Yeah, you get all your rainbow. Um, but, but this, this, which means that this glowering figure um, appears in, in this church. And I, I know I preach at this and just go, Oh my goodness. You know, Malachi, and it, but it's not just Malachi, the mural in Logie Ray, it's Malachi, the book. I just go, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. And we we said that at the start. And yet there's something about this that is unlettable go of. And and ultimately that that leads us to Christ as we when we come to chapter four. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, Jen, unless you've got more you would like to talk about, I, I think that's a good time to bring this to a close, the discussion. And, and it, I guess it's a sort of bittersweet moment, isn't it, of saying we began this season talking about rebuilding. And I, and I, I don't know about you, but I kind of had a sense of, well, if we, if we talk our way through Nehemiah and Ezra and, and, and these prophetic books, then it will, it will give us uh, comfort, I suppose, and, and help. Maybe we'll find some solutions to, to our current situation. But there's a, there is a bittersweetness and maybe, a, maybe there's a reflection in our current times um, of something that's quite real and the paradox of that that I don't know that we have reached conclusions I think we've 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 taken things out and explored them and pulled them apart and looked at them and talked about them and that's good because actually if we were to get to the bottom of it then well where's the fun in that really isn't it yeah we do keep <laughs> and and I think as well that you know chapter four this wonderful bit about the son of righteousness will come with healing on its wings the prophecy, the return of Elijah, who will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the children to the parents, which, um, you know, I think particularly of, well, you both who are involved in intergenerational work um, is such a, a beautiful verse. And yeah, we struggle yeah. with Malachi, but oh my goodness, Malachi, you end well. Yeah. And it's not over. The story's not yeah, over. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? There's always that, that sense. The story is not over. And if you let your audio run, you get into the New Testament. Yes. <laughs> You don't have to wait the intertestamental period. And, um, and if, so you're a, just, if you're a Jew, you let your audio <laughs> run and you get to the book of Psalms. So also the, good. Oh, no, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Mm. So for the final time, this season, season three, Jen, what is your gem? My gem today <laughs> is to be easy on yourself if you're a youth ministry person or a children's ministry person or doing intergenerational stuff. Because once again, uh, we find ourselves, as we're recording, uh, having to decide what we do with events over Christmas, what gatherings to have, how to have them, whether to go back onto Zoom. And that is a heavy burden. Uh, I had a our young people's Bible study group, which was meeting in person. We had it on Zoom. It just seemed a bit bizarre having to do that again. It wasn't a good feeling. And there's other things we've put back onto Zoom. And I think it's an encouragement again, and I suppose I've repeated this often, but in Malachi, there's something about our hearts being right with God, and that's what matters. And also what Neil said in his Glover's Off about, you know, that beautiful image of 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 our life in Christ coming um, from the Holy Spirit, from our source. It's not what we do and the things we create and the how we how we um, 
act out our Christian lives. It's, it's who we are as people. And that was also when we were doing a Zechariah, that, that beautiful image of the of the olive trees and the olive oil pouring into our lives. Um, a picture of the Holy Spirit again. So as we try and engage yet again with a Christmas that cuts us off from people that we care for and we are pastorally concerned with, uh, that we wouldn't be too hard on ourselves and we would do what we can and to ask God for that creativity once again. And again, what we said earlier on about Christmas not being about a day, Christmas not being about the weekend before Christmas when we do all our Christmas church stuff, but that season of Christmas, maybe how, how can we connect with our young people then? Just simply sending a card, praying for them, um, you know, keeping that going for a walk if you if what things do you do in your life that young people can join in with you go for a walk with a dog and talk about the bible and um, go to the go go and pick up some shopping for people older people in the community and and um take it round with the young people i mean these are things we've all been trying to do uh, but keep it simple and fit it into the life that you're living rather than burdening your, ourselves with the feeling of what can we do and how can we work out things in these restrictions so it's that a reminder just and connected very much to, to Glover's Off that about your life in crisis is come directly from God and that's what really matters at this these difficult times of life. That's great. Thank you very much, Jen. That's great. Encouragement to all of us. I, I guess it's a big ask, but I wonder, is does anybody have a takeaway either from today or from the whole series? Neil? Um, where my mind goes to is Jen going with it in Zechariah. That was my the thing that I came back with where Jen said, oh, really struggled with these visions. And then I just went with it and I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I think, yeah, just go with it. That would be my Great. my takeaway. Great. Jen, what's yours? Yeah, I've, I've been made to read these books of the Bible again because of this podcast, but I know there's other books of the Bible that I haven't visited for a very, very long time. And I will make the time to do that and to go with them. Fantastic. And I think for me, I'm going to read the the Christmas narrative and the New Testament in a, in a whole new light, having thought through all this stuff, because I, I think the anticipation of it has been built in me as we've we've, you know, plowed our way, let's be honest at points, plowed our way through some of these some of these um, Old Testament books this, this time. Well, thank you very much to both of you. It's been an absolute delight. Happy New Year when it comes. Uh, may it be a happy new year and uh, next season after a short break we're going to come back and we're going to be looking at the book of john john's gospel and we're tying that in with a resource that's been released from sbs called light and life uh, and so i had an idea that maybe if you were going to listen to our podcast and read along with us you might want to do that as a group of people from from your church together uh, so you can order those light and life gospels um, from sbs and you could read along and we will discuss that in season four when it comes We'd love you to join us. So thank you very much to both of you. Don't forget, if you've got any questions about what you're reading, anything you'd like to ask any one of us, if you just want to say hello, then you can get in touch by emailing outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. But until we're back with the next season, thank you for listening. And we'll see you then. Bye.